And I remember people being like, oh, we don't want you to feel that way. And I'm like, I, yeah, but I have to, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know you don't want me to, but this is actually totally necessary. I have to like, you can't take away my sadness. I need to, for you to say it's okay for me to be sad and to just be with me when I'm sad. Hi everyone, I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best, and this is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. It's where we share your stories of growing your family and how that process changes you into something new. And today we have Gina's story, which I thought at first was a sad story. And while there is sadness, I think it is ultimately a story about how important it is to feel our feelings, all of them, even the painful ones. Through Gina's experience, I think it is clear that embracing pain rather than running from it can really benefit our lives. It can help us understand ourselves better, relate to others with more empathy, and really feel the full human experience, the joy and the sorrow. Gina's story is one of a life turned to ashes and the beauty that grew up out of those ashes. Without further ado, let's meet Gina. My name is Gina Prescott. I live in Yakima, Washington, and I have, so I'm married um, for six years now, I believe. Yeah, six years to uh, my husband, Kyle. I have a four-year-old named Max. I have, I would have a two and a half-year-old named James. Um, He still counts, of course. And then uh, Daniel is 16 months. You may have heard some foreshadowing there. So let's go back a few years to where the story really begins. It was about three years ago when Gina was hugely pregnant. James's due date was July, uh, July 27th, I believe. Yeah. And it had been, um, a super easy pregnancy. Um, so I was really confident that this would be another normal pregnancy. Um, and there were absolutely no complications. I went to a great midwife, um, at the local hospital and she was, they were great. I was about 38 weeks along and the prior and like two days before I had had a checkup and heard the heartbeat, everything was good. And then, um, on July, so July 17th was my son's second birthday. And then, um, you know, we were super focused on him on that whole day. And then, uh, July 18th, um, later in the evening, we, my husband and I, we were watching Netflix, of course, um, just hanging out. And I started realizing, like, subconsciously, I couldn't remember um, the last time I had felt him kick. And so I, you know, kind of got up and went to the bedroom and laid on the bed and laid on my back. Because, you know, babies, they usually <laughs> start moving once you lay straight on your back. And I, you know, I po- poked and prodded and I didn't feel any sort of response at all. And so then I started getting really worried. Um, so I drank some really cold water and... Um, and then finally, you know, I went and got my husband and I was like, hey, you know, I haven't felt him kick. I don't remember the last time I felt him kick. So he was like, you know, let's let's call the hospital and let's see what they want us to do. So we called them finally and I was already kind of freaked out. And they were like, yeah, we'd like you to come in. Let's just see um, what there is to see. And so, so we drove down and it was really like I had like kind of this really peaceful feeling and I was like, okay, everything's going to be okay. Like this feels great. So we get there and, you know, they have the tech, of course, is the person doing it. And they're, she was turned on the ultra, no, turns on the Doppler first. And she's, you know, rooting around 
and not finding anything. And, you know, I'm getting more and more nervous. And my husband and I, we just lock eyes and we're like, this is not good. And um, she's like, I'm going to go get the, the midwife. And she's like, you know, sometimes these things are funky or whatever. And I'm just like, you know, you just know, like they're just being like, and so anyway, so the midwife comes in and turns it on and, you know, we, you can see sort of the outline of the baby and just no heartbeat. And, you know, the midwife just, she grabbed my hand and was just like, I'm so sorry. And it was just like, you know, in a moment, your heart is just like, this is real. This is, this actually happens. This is the kind of thing that I imagine happening in slow motion while there is actually a flurry of activity. I imagine someone sitting down with you, phone calls being made, people being called in to help. I want there to be life-saving measures. I want them to say they will try to restart the baby's heart or something. But apparently that's not how it goes. Once it was determined that the baby's heart had stopped beating, there was nothing to do except deliver the body. It was 2 a.m. at that point. They would have induced Gina right then if she had wanted them to but Gina felt she needed some time to process what was happening and maybe a night to get some rest. It was late on a Thursday when she went to the hospital, and she decided to wait until Saturday to deliver the baby. Before she went home that night, Gina called her bishop, who was working at the hospital, and he gave her a blessing of peace and comfort. In it, he said some words that influenced the way Gina approached the rest of her experience, both the delivery and the restructuring of her life that happened afterward. He said not to run from the pain or push it away, but to accept it and to feel it. Gina took that into advice and decided that when she delivered the baby, she would try for the unmedicated childbirth she had planned and prepared for. However, while she felt physically prepared to endure the pain, it wasn't until she was actually in labor that she realized she needed to be ready to face emotional and spiritual pain as well. At first, she and her husband tried to distract themselves from it. We actually tried watching a DVD, which, like, thinking about it now seems so silly. Like my mom had like given us this red box DVD and I was like, I'm going to try to not think about this. And the DVD work in the room wasn't working. And then we were like, we really want to watch this DVD. So they brought this like extra TV in with a DVD player, but it was like set on um, Spanish and like there was no remote to change it. So we're like, this is weird. Okay. So then my mom brought her, brought um, a portable DVD player that they had in the car and like the battery had like blown up and we're like, okay, if there's a sign that we're not supposed to like watch a DVD and we're actually supposed to like process this, this is probably it. They gave up on watching the movie and turned on some music instead. Gina opened her scriptures and came across some verses that spoke to her and after embracing the pain, led her to the next piece of wisdom that would help her through her experience. It was in Isaiah 61, and it reads, in part, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me here to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberally to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to appoint them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praises for the spirit of heaviness, trees of righteousness. As Gina read those verses, she felt that God was telling her if she would let him, he could help her turn this experience into something more, that out of the ashes of her grief, beautiful things could grow. But that would happen later. Right then, it was getting to be time to push the baby out, and Gina's ability to handle the pain was tested for the first time. 
I was like, this really hurts. Like, you know, I'm crying because of everything. And they're like, are you sure you don't want any drugs? I was like, well, what can you give me right now? And she's like, well, we can give you this, you know, one pill, but it'll kind of make you loopy. And I was like, I don't want that. (laughs) So, you know, I pushed him out and I just remember screaming like it was, and, but it wasn't this like angry scream. It was just this like power scream. And it was just like, ah, and yeah. And I just remember holding him and wishing and looking at him and it, it totally seemed like a normal baby. And, but just realizing like he was obviously not living, his heart wasn't beating, you know, he had little marks on his face um, and his skin was starting to come off and, and little things like that where you, you know, that aren't normal. And um, the whole time you just have this like hidden hope that he, what, that there was some sort of mistake, like that when he was going to be born, he was actually going to be alive and I was going to be like this miracle story or something. Um, and you know, you just cry, (laughs) you just cry. Gina and her husband held their baby whom they named James for the next few hours. The hospital staff were very sensitive and attentive to her. The midwife who helped her deliver the baby was especially great in helping Gina get off to a good start as she began traveling this road she did not expect to be on. She was so good. She was just, she just let me do what I needed to do. And she kind of just went with, went with the flow. And actually after he was born, um, after a couple hours, she like just sat with us in our room talking with us, which I don't think is a lot of doctors or, you know, midwives do, but she literally just sat and talked with us for two hours and wanted to know more about us. And, um, and I just remember that, like, she really, I felt like she really took into consideration that she wanted me to own my experience. I had one main nurse who was with me most of the day and she was great. She was kind of, um, she was an older nurse. And so she was very much like very grandmotherly. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do this. They were really, really kind. And I, I never really felt pitied. Um, I felt like they were really wanting to, to be there with me for the experience. So I feel really grateful for that. When Gina left the hospital, it was to a different world than she had been in just a week before. It was a world full of pain, pain that she had been vaguely aware of before, but that now she saw everywhere. For the first time, I felt like real intense pain and I felt like it connected me to like this, you know, grand human experience that I hadn't really um, experienced before. You know, I had grown up very comfortably. And so this was like the first time. And I remember always thinking growing up, like something bad has to happen in my life. Like every like bad things happen to everybody. What is going to be like my bad thing? Um, yeah. And I remember as soon as this happened, I was like, well, this is one really bad thing. And, um, yeah, it just, I felt like it connected me to this human experience. The pain of the childbirth, the unexpectedness of her baby's death, the whirlwind of everything happening so quickly and in reverse, the death before the birth was pretty intense. In the moment, all the feelings were jumbled up, and it was only as time went on that Gina was able to sort them out, process them, and really feel what was happening. Slowly, she could see and understand how this would change her life and understand the purpose the pain served. There's so many, like, weird, unexpected emotions (laughs) along with the experience. I remember being in the hospital room um, after we had had James, and, you know, and he was... um, 
we had like placed his body and, you know, in the little baby bed that they have in that room. And, and we were talking and I remember, you know, there were moments where we were laughing and stuff, even during labor and everything like that, because, you know, especially when you're like in shock, you're kind of just kind of a mess of high and lows. Um, so yeah, so there was, you know, there were high moments and there were, you know, extreme low moments, especially after, um, in the weeks after I remember, you know, everyone's there for you, like in the first part. Um, but slowly it starts trickling away. Slowly letters stop coming slowly. People stop checking in. And I remember that's when it got really hard was realizing, okay, I don't have as much support as I did anymore. And, uh, that's when I felt some of my like lowest lows was, you know, trying to take care of a two-year-old and also process the death of a son while my husband was still in school. So he, you know, he would go off to school and I would just be home alone and, and crying. (laughs) And yeah, but, you know, going through those emotions, it has made me recognize like when I'm happier more. Um, it is like, it would make me realize, okay, did I have a good day? Did I have a bad day? And I, yeah. And, you know, just really accepting those. Um, it was, it was so necessary, um, especially for healing. Like it was so necessary for me to be able to say, I am angry about this because I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, you know, don't be mad at God. Don't be, you know, you don't, don't try to do this. Don't try to do that. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes you just have to be mad at God and he's okay. He can take it. (laughs) He, you know, he understands. And, uh, so, you know, so there were moments where I would, you know, be really frustrated. And there were moments where I would just be so sad. And there were moments where I just like, felt like I literally was just in darkness and I was like, somebody pull me out of this. Um, but it always made like little moments where goodness happened so much sweeter. Um, I had, uh, a lady from church. She was just so good about, she was like, angels were whispering in her ears and she would just always do these little things. Like one day I went to go get the mail and she had like just left a, um, like bouquet of flowers in our mailbox and, and, you know, it was just like a little card, like, I hope this can be a little sunshine for you. And I just, and it totally was. And it just seemed like, like, oh, that's just, you know, that's such a small thing that wouldn't have that big of a difference. But when you're like dealing with really dark feelings, it really can mean a lot that somebody thought of you enough to go to the store and get some flowers and bring them by to your house. She was more aware of her own joy, but she could also relate more fully to others. She could see and really empathize with the pain around her. She could understand why people are sometimes hard and mean, and she could extend them some grace. You know, when bad things happen now, I, it just, it just cuts me because it just takes me back to like, I know what that feels like. Um, And you realize how you just, you're very aware of how people deal with it differently. You know, how some people, um, some people are so, you know, callous and, hardened because of these experiences and it's made me notice like those people a lot more like why did the why is this person like this now and I always try to think it is probably because they've gone some through something hard and that is how they dealt with it um 
So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely connected me in that way. And it's made me um, really aware of really trying to empathize with people on a deeper level. A lot of the hardest things we experience come out of our closest relationships, from being parents and children and sisters and brothers. Gina felt that the difficulty of those experiences are an indication of how important those ties are. There's... There's so many hard emotions with family, and I think a lot of people recognize that, you know, that, yeah, having kids, there are certain limitations that come with them. You know, you have less free time, you have less money, um, you have less flexibility. And I think as a society in general, people have recognized that, and they're like, oh, don't want that. Um, I want to be able to make all the choices I want and not have any restrictions on them. Um, but actually, at James's uh, graveside, um, burial service, I kind of made a plea to my family, um, to my extended family. So my brothers and sisters and, um, cause I have, uh, five, um, brothers and sisters. And I was just like, please just like focus on family because the hurt that came with this experience made me realize like, okay, if this is what real pain feels like, this must be something that is really important. Like if it hurts this much, this must mean that this is something that has a lot of value. Please just love them. Like love your family, focus on them because you never know, you know, when something bad is going to happen. And as you know, cliche and trite as that sounds, it's so true. And it's, you know, it's hard to like, try to get people to understand that like this is what has worth this is what is of substance and yeah it's hard and there are parts that totally suck about it but the reward is actually so great our relationship with them affects their relationship with their children and it it has such a bigger impact than you know than I think we could ever really understand but it makes it you realize how much more important it is to invest your full self to it and to really, to try to feel the experience of it, to not, you know, run away from the hardness of it, but to realize, you know, this is, there's so much involved within the motherhood experience. And a lot of times there's a lot we don't want to deal with. It just changes you for the better. Ultimately, I think every child just like transforms you, um, as a mother and, and as a family in general, you know, they add something, they bring something and it's like, you know, sometimes I just want to shake people like, why don't you get that? Parenthood is getting something, adding something, is sometimes really difficult for us to see in our society. We often think of the things we are losing by becoming parents. Lazy Saturday mornings, late night Netflix binges, money spent on the latest pair of skinny jeans rather than on diapers and braces. Gina felt that way too before she had children. But having a son and losing another son changed that perspective. I did not grow up with a strong conviction to become a mother. Um, it wasn't that the, it wasn't there at all, but I definitely felt like, oh, I don't know. Like I had kind of grown up with this idea that like to be a mother is to be constricted and to not be able to do, to not have your own life. And so, you know, after all of this happened, it was just like, well, <laughs> if this is what motherhood is, to feel this type of pain, like, I don't want to do this. Um, cause it was just, you know, especially those couple weeks afterward where, you know, you still have to deal with all the side effects of, you know, post birth, but you don't have the like 
happy baby hormones, you know, of, you know, those feelings where, you know, when you get to nurse them and where you're cuddling them and you have, you know, that rush of love hormone and, you know, instead it was just like emptiness and engorged breasts. I just wanted to forget about it, but it really made me ultimately, um, it made me recognize what a joy my, you know, my living child was and what a joy children are. It definitely gave me a greater purpose for realizing I don't want to wish these days away. I don't want to, I want to live more um, mindful. I want to be more present. I want to connect more with my children because I didn't get that with James. Um, And so, yeah, it was just, it's deepened my desire to figure out how can I be more intentional about my motherhood? How can I be more present? I want them to grow up with memories of me seeing them and noticing them and loving them because I feel like all of that was lost with James. Um, you know, I didn't, I don't get to experience those things. And so I think about, okay, what am I not getting with, to do with him? And I just try to use that for fuel to like, I can give that to these children though. And that's really, I think about that's a gift that James has given me is the ability. He has taught me so much, you know, through his short, um, life life and yeah it's it's had huge repercussions a huge effect on me um especially as a mother it seems a little bit paradoxical to me that gina would look at the wreckage of this experience and decide that the greatest pain is where the greatest beauty can come from and that that was where she wanted to be but that's exactly what she felt the week that i talked to gina brandon stanton the photographer who does the popular humans of new york series posted a photo of a father showing off a picture of his daughter on his phone The caption tells the story of how the man and his wife decided to have a child. My wife and I were eating at a rib joint in Key Largo, and we actually took out a piece of paper and made a pros and cons list. The con list was pretty normal. Time, money, things like that. I remember at the top of the pro list was full human experience. After our daughter was born, that became an inside joke with us. Every time she was screaming at bath time, my wife and I would look at each other and say, full human experience. The first three months were the hardest. Honestly, we wondered if we had made a mistake. It was like a bomb drop and eviscerated everything in our lives. But then our daughter started growing up and learning to do things on her own, and we kept taking small steps back and getting more of our own time back. There's an unexpected sadness of getting your life back. It's like you're getting laid off slowly from an equally grueling but joyful job. She's 10 now, and I'll notice that she'll be reading alone for an hour without getting bored and jumping on me. We used to make tents on the bed. Now it's more homework and YouTube. Sometimes she'll go in her room for a long time and close the door. Her life is becoming hers, and I'm fascinated by where it's going to go. But it's bittersweet that she needs me less and less. The full human experience. Gina and I had both seen the photo and felt it, the truth of it, that parenthood lets us feel the full range of human emotion. So much pain and so much joy. But there was also that awareness that there has to be something else in addition to parenthood. You have to stay in touch with who you are outside of your children or losing them, whether quickly as in Gina's case or slowly as they grow up and become more independent, can leave you confused and unmoored. Gina realized that in the absence of a baby, she needed to reconnect with who she was outside of motherhood. And this is where she found the strength and the purpose to find beauty amidst the ashes of her life, to make something meaningful out of it. I took a lot of time to really try to discover who I was as a person and what my strengths were. And I remember 
at one point, you know, kind of lamenting to my husband about like, I'm not that I wasn't playful enough. You know, I'm not the like play cars on the rug mom. I just, I have a hard time doing that for more than like a minute. Um, but my husband was like, but you are so good at reading to them. He's like, you go to the library and you have so many books and the boys just love sitting and reading with you. And I was like, you're right. I am good at that. Like, I love reading. And that is something that I could do with them for like three hours. We could just sit and read books. And so just really trying to find, okay, what am I passionate about? Taking that and really trying to strengthen it and exercise it um, and grow from it. And I felt like it's been really helpful for me to do. And I felt really good about that. For two years, Gina had really dedicated herself to motherhood, taking care of Max and then Anticipating having another child had become her world. But with James's death, that view crumbled. Motherhood was something she came to after much thought and prayer and consideration. And now it seemed it had been taken from her. I wondered if she ever felt like she deserved this, if she'd done something wrong, or if she had tried to find a reason for it. You just automatically think there has to be something that I did to deserve this. Um... And like the song from Sound of Music always comes into my head where Maria sings, you know, I must have done something good to deserve, you know, something so wonderful. And, you know, my mind would always just flip to the opposite. So I was like, what did I do? And so I'd go, I'd like nitpick my own, my own life. And I would just look at these little things um, and, and big things really that I felt like, well, this must have been it. This must have been why this happened. And and, you know, it started, it became obvious that that was not why this happened. Um, but I felt like it was a necessary process to go through to really evaluate how I was living my life, um, whether or not I was living in harmony with, like, who I felt like I should be. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a really good look at into that and really deciding, you know, was this something that I deserved and realizing, you know, that of course it wasn't, that this is not something that anybody deserves um, or that, you know, I didn't do anything to make this happen, but that this was just something that happened. And that is a big part of life is that sometimes things just happen to people. Kind of the biggest meaning that I've gotten from it is that that this experience is something that I need to use to learn from and to grow from, that it's something that I have to take and become better because of. So this was, you know, sometimes things are out of our control and we, they don't happen for any other reason, but we have the choice once they happen of what we want to do with those situations. And that's really kind of the big lesson that I took was, I remember being in that, um, that hospital room and consciously making the choice, okay, I now get to decide whether I am going to be angry about this or whether I am going to take this and try to grow from it and try to use it to better understand life, basically. And it's funny because as much as I, like, have given up trying to find a reason why it happened. There's still like little moments where I'm just like, hmm, maybe that was why, maybe that was why. And it's so hard to like shake that idea 
that because it's so ingrained when every, you know, because everyone says, well, everything happens for a reason. And you're like, okay, well, what was the reason? Well, maybe it was this, maybe it was this. And I think sometimes we have to let go of that idea of like, that we have to know the reason. And sometimes we just have to be like, okay, I don't get to know the reason. And maybe someday I'll know the reason. But for now, I just need to do what I can basically because you can I I feel like so many people get caught on that like there has to be a reason and they search for it and I feel like that really chokes your ability to move onward and to you know try to live a joyous and happy life after something horrible happens if there was a reason for her baby dying before he was even born Gina isn't hung up on finding it the meaning of the experience is the meaning she gives it by making something more of her life, cultivating the beauty amidst the ashes. Another important part of moving onward is to reconcile herself with death. Most of us haven't experienced death very directly. And as Gina points out, talking about it brings up really uncomfortable feelings that people want to avoid. But again, she feels like confronting the pain makes it possible to progress through your life. It wasn't, I feel like it wasn't always that way. I've read a lot of like accounts of you know, when women in like the early 1900s, when people would ask them, oh, you know, how many kids do you have or whatever, they would list all of their kids and they'd be like, you know, I have four living and three deceased. And that was like a totally normal thing. But because of modern medicine, which is wonderful and we're grateful for because it keeps our children alive, but it's, you know, it's made death farther away in a sense where we feel like we're a little bit more invincible from its grasp and that, you know, it shouldn't touch us. And so it's like, so there's this shame that like when something bad happens to you, that like, oh, you know, they're tainted now. And it's like, don't go near them because they, you know, it's like you have a mark on you and, and no one wants to like talk about it because, because those, because people aren't used to those feelings and they feel awful and they're so uncomfortable and painful that like, you know, people physically distance themselves from it because they just can't reconcile, you know, those things. I think a lot of times because they have hard questions that they haven't reconciled in their personal lives that they're like, can't deal with this. I don't know if there's a heaven. I don't know if, you know, where people go when they die. Um, so then they just don't want to think about it. And that makes it really hard. And it just perpetuates into the community and just grows. Gina has her own beliefs about death and about life after death. And even though she realizes there is some fuzziness about whether her baby was ever really alive because his heart stopped beating before he was born, she has a strong faith that she'll see him again. Knowing that has given her hope and strength to continue to make something beautiful grow from the ashes. And although they don't have any pictures of James to speak of, he is still very much a part of their family. Gina wears a bracelet with his name on it, and they include James in their family prayers every day. Max, Gina's son, who is now five, talks frequently about his brother James and how he's going to see him again someday. The family goes to visit James's grave when they can and always bring peanut M&Ms to snack on while they are there, a tradition Gina hopes will help make the journey a happy memory for all of them. Gina's experience with James was basically a life compressed. It was painful, in part because it all happened so quickly and unexpectedly. She got the full human experience— birth, life, death, all at once, but in the wrong order. Untangling the emotions, noticing how they all connected to each other and to the world around her opened her eyes to the beauty and the complexity of humanity, 
of life and of her faith. In those months after James died, as she was sorting through those feelings, she took the time to find some strings to hold on to, to find her place in the world and how she could contribute to it. Writing was one of the things she found that she loved to do and was good at and was appreciated. In the days after James died and was delivered, Gina wrote a post about him and his beautiful heart and what it had done for her. James was eight pounds, two ounces, and 21 and a half inches. He had golden brown hair, not much, but more than Max. I held his body and felt so much peace and love for him. It was his body that I held, but his spirit was in the room with us. He was there and I felt it so strongly. I wasn't sad for long because I still had this child. This child who someday I will get to hug and embrace again. I will get to hear his voice and see his smile. I will get to see a glimmer in his eyes as we reunite. His beautiful heart has impacted this world already. I have felt the power of his life in this world as my family has come together, as my friends from church have joined in solidarity to support us, as I turn to my husband and to my beautiful child and embrace them in sheer love and appreciation for all that I have. His beautiful heart is teaching me already to be a better mother, to be a better daughter, a better wife, a better friend, a better person. He is making me better already, and I love him so dearly for that. Thanks, Gina, for sharing your story and reminding us that pain has a purpose and we can't live a full, beautiful life without it. Thanks to all of you for listening. We hope you enjoy these stories and find them meaningful. If you do, can we ask you a favor? Go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It'll help more people find us. And of course, thanks to our support team, producer emeritus Ryan Barnhart and the musicians Ben Howell and Ellen Barnhart. And we can't forget our head cheerleader, Micah Heiselt, who, you guys, this is no joke, he survived the cries of a real mandrake. It was like magic. We'll be posting Gina reading the rest of her blog post at a future date. And you can find more of her writing at ginaprescott.com. Kiki, beep, 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 beep.